0: Hello, it's the October DCM podcast. My name is Tom and this month I'm joined by Corin Eshen, who is a fellow DCMer. She works on the Group M agency. Hi, Corin.
1: Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing all right today. Not doing too bad, thanks.
0: Good. And Corin is here because Corin sees every film <laughs> that is released in cinemas. And this is no joke. Corin sees more films than any other person at DCM. And we're here to discuss the recently concluded BFI London Film Festival and some of the films that you can look forward to in cinemas over the next few months that premiered at the f- festival. You saw a number of them, didn't you, Corinne? I
1: did, yeah. I think I'm pretty well qualified to be. I saw 22 films this year, although that felt like a lot to me. But I was sitting in the queue for one of them and I was talking to two um, men and they'd seen between 60 and 70 films between... Uh, each, sorry. So, yeah, I've I've definitely not seen as much as some people. But, yeah, 22 films, a great variety good as going. well. Yeah. That,
0: that they, they, those two people don't have day jobs. No, they definitely uh, didn't. <laughs> um, but before we chat about the London Film Festival, we need to update everyone on what's been going on in cinemas recently. So the big news in cinemas at the moment is that Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour has been in cinemas for one weekend. This is, I mean, this is a a brand new thing. The world's biggest pop star having a film that's running in cinemas over a series of weekends on the run up to Christmas. On its first weekend, it delivered 230,000 emissions and it's going to be in cinemas at at least for the next three weekends. So, uh, I mean, this is big news and hot on the heels of Taylor. We will have Beyonce and renaissance a film by beyonce to give it its full titles which is hitting cinemas on the 30th in november I mean, these are quite new propositions, aren't they, Corinne? And it's exciting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I didn't see the Taylor Swift one. I'm not a Swiftie. I'll hold my hands up and say that. But I will definitely be going to see the Beyonce one because I did go to see the tour um, back in the summer. But I went to see The Great Escaper at the weekend and we were in the screen next to Taylor Swift and you could hear the noise as you were walking down past the screen. And then at points during quite a quiet film, like The Great Escaper, where Swifties and like, sort of teenage girls or 20-odd year old girls are just absolutely living their best lives watching Taylor Swift on the big screen.
0: Yeah. And what's quite interesting is I've had friends who've texted me this week who went to see Taylor Swift the year's tour at the weekend. And I was just like, oh, how was it? And they're like, oh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. We're going again this weekend. Uh, I, it's for people who couldn't get tickets to see Taylor Swift. This, it's very exciting. And, and hopefully Renaissance, the Beyonce film will be similar if you didn't if you didn't get tickets to Beyonce's Renaissance tour, which played a number of dates. I think we worked out just under half a million people went to the concerts in the UK across the summer. And if you didn't get tickets to that, you can see the um, concert film, which is more of a documentary. There's more behind-the-scenes footage, isn't there?
1: It looks like it, yeah. I think it's more in keeping with like her homecoming documentary-style footage that she did before. So it looks like it's going to be something a bit more structured to it rather than just a concert film.
0: And you would think the audience is probably 16 to 34 25 to 44 year old women but I I mean it's a bit broader than that but you would think that's the the largest percentage of the audience wouldn't you
1: yeah I'd say so it had a really strong um kind of black queer message to it as well so I think it would be really great for reaching a diverse audience um if you're looking for a way to target that kind of audience as well
0: yep it's renaissance a film by beyonce it's hitting cinemas on the 30th of november also in cinemas now is Killers of the Flower Moon, which is the brand new Martin Scorsese film. And every Martin Scorsese film is an event, but this one feels very much like an event. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, two actors who Martin Scorsese is probably most associated with. Were, with It's uh, one of the major contenders for the major awards at next year. So Best Picture at the Oscars, Best Picture at the BAFTAs. This is going to be one of the two or three major contenders. It's produced in conjunction with Apple TV, which I think is very exciting. In that Apple TV uh, are making original films, but realising that for them to be big hits on their platform, they need to premiere in cinemas first. We're seeing it with Killers of the Flower Moon this month. We're seeing it with Napoleon next month. Then we're seeing it with a very different film in Argyle in February, which we'll talk about on a later podcast. But you've seen Killers of the Flower Moon, haven't you?
1: I have, yeah. And I'm I'm calling it now. I'm putting myself out there and saying I think this is going to be the film that wins the big awards next year at awards season. Martin Scorsese has just done an incredible job putting together what's a really difficult subject and what's a really hefty source material. Um, And he's put it in such a beautiful way on the big screen. And all three leads are incredible. Uh, Robert De Niro is fantastic. Leonardo DiCaprio... I'm rooting for to win Best Actor, but the absolute standout is Lady Gladstone. She is absolutely phenomenal as the central female figure. I mean, she goes on such a journey that I can't, I'm really struggling to not see her win Best Actress next year at the Oscars in particular. But even the supporting cast, the likes of Jesse Plemons, he pops up sort of with an hour to go. He steals the little scenes that he's in. Just a fantastic film all around.
0: And obviously for very similar audiences, Napoleon, which is out in cinemas on the 22nd of November, starring Joaquin Phoenix, which is Ridley Scott, another elder statesman of cinema, his latest huge biopic. Neither of these filmmakers is slowing down. Martin Scorsese is already planning. They're both in their 80s now. He's planning his next film. Ridley Scott has got Gladiator 2 coming next year. But also November is an incredible month to reach ABC1 women with... Uh, a few, some of the films we'll talk about shortly, but notably Saltburn, which opened the London Film Festival, May, December, which we'll talk about, but also the Palme d'Or winning Anatomy of a Fall. So I think November, alongside the obvious big blockbusters in the Marvels and Hunger Games, uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, is shaping up to be a really exciting month for cinema going. And then that leads into Christmas, which is going to be dominated by Paul King's Wonka, which is in cinemas on the 8th of December. But we've also got the aforementioned Renaissance We've got Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom and the 20th, yes, the 20th anniversary re-release of Elf.
1: That's insane, isn't it? Like, how is that 20 years old? <laughs> I don't
0: know. It just, when things like that happen, it just makes you feel really old, doesn't it? I just realise the passing of time uh, is is swift, to quote um, Taylor, okay, Taylor. <laughs> but also that the, the sounds of time are slipping through our fingers, but... It's also the 20th anniversary of Love Actually this Christmas as well. And the 30th anniversary of The Nightmare Before Christmas. All getting re-releases in in the run-up to Christmas. Amazing. So let's talk about the London Film Festival. It happens every year around this this time. I think it's one of the most exciting periods of the years. It's a great festival to go to. Members of the public can buy tickets. Uh, They premiere some of the biggest films that are set to release over the next few months a lot of the films we're going to talk about are awards contenders and if you're looking to reach a premium audience and even more premium audience than cinema usually deliver, delivers, then this, that's, this is a great way to do it and we have an award season package you can speak to some uh, your DCM rep about but it's a great way to reach a really premium audience, isn't it, Corinne?
1: Yeah, it feels like the number one way and I think you can kind of see that from when you go to the film festival. Obviously, the nature of being at film festival is slightly more premium in itself but you can really see from the quality of films that you see over the two and a half weeks or sort of one and a half week now, isn't it really the film festival? The quality is like something you don't see the rest of the year around. Obviously you get the odd film here and there the rest of the year around that's um, going to be really fantastic for reaching that upmarket audience but this is the kind of creme de la creme when it comes to the directors all of the biggest names in directing that you see uh, they're going to be releasing their films at festivals all of the top actors both up and coming and pre-existing like Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro that we mentioned they're going to be starring in all of these films so yeah no better way to reach upmarket audiences
0: yeah and I've been going to the film festival for many years now. You've been going as mm-hmm. well, and this felt like a very, very strong year, didn't it? You know, I mean, it's, every year is strong, but this one particularly, I think, consistently strong films throughout it. I mean, I was looking, I was looking at the reviews from the major publications, and a lot of five-star reviews giving out to, given out to these films. I think um, the first few that we're going to speak about were, were four or five stars in every publication. Uh, it's, it's it's an exciting time, isn't it?
1: I absolutely love it. I mean, touching on with what you said about it being a particularly strong year, as I mentioned, I saw 22 films, and there's only one film where I would say I wasn't overly keen on it, but even then, that's my opinion. I still would re-watch the film, and the film the film that I'm talking about, I don't want to mention it because I don't want to put anyone off seeing it, um, but I saw other publications giving it like four and five stars. I think it was just my personal taste that didn't like it quite as much. So yeah, an incredible year for filmmaking.
0: And the opening gala was Emerald Fennell's Saltburn which is in cinemas on the 17th of November. So not far away. But this Emerald Fennels burst onto the scene. Well, she burst onto the big screen with her last film, which was Promising Young Woman starring Carey Mulligan. But eagle-eyed people on the small screen would have seen her because she was in, I think she was in Call the Midwife. Was she in Call the Midwife? I
1: Mid- think, is she called Call the Midwife? Yeah, yes. I'm, not, I'm not really a BBC drama person. No. I'm not going to lie.
0: And she was part of the creative team behind Killing Eve.
1: Most excitingly, she was midge.
0: Yes, she was (laughs) mid in Barbie this year as well. So she's behind and in front of the camera. But her latest film is a British comedy-drama starring Barry Keegan, Jacob Elordi and Rosamund Pike and also Kerry Mulligan. And Barry Keegan plays a student at Oxford University who finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. And that's where the title Saltburn comes from, isn't it? It's the Saltburn Estate.
1: That is the Saltburn Estate that they've moved to, yeah.
0: Yeah, so this was funny because this premiered at, I think it was the Telluride Film Festival last uh, in September, and the US critics liked it but didn't love it but the UK critics have l- gone for it in a big way i think it's really attuned to uk audiences uh and, i mean it's a british film but everyone in the company in dcm and we it was the opening gala and it had a number of other screenings. I think eight of us went to see it and everyone loved it, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they did. And I think in terms of that British audience, a lot of the um, early scenes of the film are set at Oxford University. And it's really got that uber-privileged, like ostentatiously rich, like disgustingly so, um, vibes that everybody associates with your kind of Eton College um, personas, so I think that's maybe why the British critics have really tapped into this. Yeah, one. they're
0: familiar with that, and, they, and the film picks that apart as well, doesn't it? It
1: really does. It's I've read a lot of reviews that are saying you need to see it to believe it, and that's so true in what they say. There's so much that goes on in in this beautiful explosion of color and insanity that it's hard to describe. And if I was to describe some of the stuff that you see in it, you wouldn't believe me until you saw it yourself.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been. Brilliantly received by everyone at DCM and and the UK critics. I think it got five stars in the Telegraph and um, from Robbie Collin. And it's Innocent was on 17th of November. Probably for a ABC one 25 to 34, 25 to 44 audience. Would you say?
1: Yeah, I say it feels it feels on the younger end of of the films that I saw at the festival. Um, I think when you look at Promising Young Women and how that performed for younger audiences, and one of the things that was really great about Promising Young Women was the use of Paris Hilton in the soundtrack. This one, again, has got an equally nostalgic pop soundtrack for people between the ages of 25 and 44. So it should be appealing to that target audience.
0: And out on the same day, the 17th of November is May, December, which is the latest film from Todd Haynes. Now, Todd Haynes is one of the best American filmmakers. He made Carol with Kate Blanchett. Uh, he made Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo. He kind of announced himself with his film Safe which starred Julianne Moore in the 90s and he's reunited with Julianne Moore for this film which also stars Natalie Portman Natalie Portman plays an actor who goes to live with a family or goes to spend some time with a family and the family has a controversial past it's 20 years after their notorious tabloid romance gripped the nation Julianne Moore and her husband feel the pressure from Natalie Portman coming to stay with them because Natalie Portman is playing Julianne Moore in a film I won't reveal what hap- what the the intricacies of the plot are no, yeah. because it I didn't know what the plot was when I watched this and it just consistently surprised me and it's two brilliant actors just facing off in a utterly fascinating film that was morally gray and ambiguous but was I felt genuinely thrilled watching a film like that was that unfolded the way it did and was grown up as well.
1: It was Another, I feel like I'm going to say this a lot. It was another masterpiece. There's this incredible scene in it. Again, I'm not spoiling any of the plot points where the two lead actresses are putting makeup on in the mirror and Natalie Portman is imitating Julianne Moore's actions. And when you're just left to sit there for a solid two to three minutes watching these two actresses at work just makes you, like you say, it makes you feel really excited by what you're seeing. And it's got this fantastic melodramatic vibe throughout the whole film as well, where there's some really core scenes where something really dramatic will happen and then they'll just completely flip it on their head by putting this really melodramatic like sound over the top of it that makes everybody kind of yeah laugh despite the fact that what you've just seen. Um, but I think we're talking about Julia Moore and Natalie Portman. Absolute kudos to Charles Melton as well, who plays the other person in the Julianne relationship. Moore's Julianne Moore's husband. Julian Moore's husband, yeah. I don't, I don't know, am I giving that away? No. Um, <laughs> but, you know, from most notably from Riverdale, so wouldn't be surprised to see Riverdale's first Oscar nomination with this one.
0: I thought this was absolutely brilliant. I genuinely thought this was... I can't... I'm actually looking forward to seeing it again. I don't know why I underestimated it. Todd Haynes makes brilliant films and two of the very best actors in Hollywood in the lead. There's just filled with great scenes. There's an amazing scene where Natalie Portman is talking about the acting process to us class of students and they're asking her funny questions and you and she's asking it and she treats it very seriously doesn't she yeah it's brilliant
1: you're really smiling when you're talking about it as well i I think that's really telling about how good the film is yeah i
0: can't wait to see it again it's on the 17th of november and again probably a very similar audience to saltburn maybe slightly older um but um one not to miss then the next film we're going to talk about out on boxing day uh is ferrari from the title you can tell what this is Mm -hmm. about it's about Enzo Ferrari the creator of the most iconic sports car in history I would say Uh, the film is set in the summer of 1957 and with Ferrari in crisis the ex-racer turned entrepreneur pushes himself and his drivers to the edge as they launch into the Mille Miglia a treacherous 1000 mile race across Italy Adam Driver plays Enzo Ferrari Penelope Cruz plays his wife.
1: Yeah, Laura.
0: Yeah, Shailene Woodley's in it. It's directed by Michael Mann, who is one of the most celebrated filmmakers of the last 40 years. He's famous for directing films like Heat and The Insider and Collateral and Miami Vice and R. Lee. And this has been really well received as well. And you enjoyed this a lot, didn't you, Corinne?
1: I did. So this was the surprise film this year. And for me personally, the surprise film is always my favourite thing to go and see because there's so much buzz and anticipation before you go in as to what the film is going to be. And Michael Mann came out to introduce this. So that was what gave it away this year. And there was this like relieved sigh across um, the cinema where everybody was like, you know, we're really in for a treat. But for me personally, when I sort of read about it, I watched the kind of snippet teaser trailer that initially... Came out, I looked at it and I thought, yeah, this will be great because it is Michael Mann and I'd heard incredible things about Penelope Cruz. But until I was actually sitting there watching it, I truly, truly loved this. And that's coming from somebody that can't even drive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that, that, like that holds any influence in how you enjoy a car film. Um, but there's so much to really enjoy about this. Adam Driver has improved his Italian accent. It's great in this one. Uh, Shining Whitley is a great supporting actress. Patrick Dempsey pops up as well. And I thought he was unrecognizable. I really loved his performance um, and absolutely kind of took me by surprise when I just think of him as being uh, Dr. Spoony. what's he called? Grey's Anatomy, is he? Yeah, the Grey's Anatomy, Dr. McDreamy, I think he's called, isn't he, in Grey's Anatomy? But yeah, I think for me, this film just belongs to Penelope Cruz. She is phenomenal in this really kind of campy, over-the-top, but really raw emotional performance as his wife, who Adam Driver, uh, sorry, Ferrari, was cheating on. That's like a large chunk of the story. Really just a fantastic film and one that I was talking to feels particularly commercial out of everything that we've seen.
0: And Michael Mann even though he's now eighty, he can direct an action he's always been able to direct an Mm. action sequence and he still can.
1: The car sequences in this are just phenomenal and it makes you really you know, back in the days when they were racing when we're talking about in when this film is set, there was no health and safety and that's what's really conveyed in this film, like the absolute brutalness of the drivers getting in these cars and not knowing whether or not they're gonna make it to the end of the race. And the way that they filmed them, there's a scene right at the start of it where they're Uh, kind of intertwining stock footage of racing with Adam Driver racing in black and white. And it's just put together so fantastically in a way. I think someone like Michael Mann is the only type of person that could really do that.
0: Yeah, it's in some on the 26th of December. Obviously, car brands will probably be interested in this. But anyone looking to reach a probably premium ABC1 male audience uh, just after Christmas. This is a great way to do it.
1: There's lots of uh, beautiful shots as well of, of the of um, where where it's set. So I think any travel brands as well looking at that post uh, Christmas away day deals. That's a great one for this as well.
0: And also out on the same date that neither you or I have seen, but I was supposed to, we were supposed to have a third person on this <laughs> po- podcast, but unfortunately he's ill. So but we'll just briefly mention this: "The Boy and the Heron," which premiered at the film festival, which is the 26th of December. This is the latest Studio Ghibli film. If you aren't aware, of Studio Ghibli, all there, they're, the, they're the most influential animation studio in the world, aside from obviously Disney. Uh, they're Japanese, all their films are on Netflix. The most famous filmmaker in that, who founded Studio Ghibli is Hayao Mariozaki. Again, another filmmaker in his eighties. This is suppo- was supposed to be his final film, but he's announced that he might be making another one. It's an animated film. And through encounters with his friends and uncle, it follows a teenage boy's psychological development. He enters a magical world with a talking grey heron after finding an abandoned tower in his new town. And despite Miyazaki making some of the classics of animation like Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, um, Princess Mononoke, uh, a whole host of films, and his last film, The Wind Rises, which everyone thought was his last film and everyone loved, this one, I have seen people say, it could be the best film he's ever made. Callum, who was going to be on the here said it was an absolute masterpiece one not to miss if you like animation isn't it Corin?
1: yeah and i think it won it was one of the shortlisted films for the audience award at the toronto film festival as well wasn't it So yeah. that's always a sign of the kind of best of the best when it comes to one of the films
0: and i think obviously there's been a, it's been a great year for animation but it could win the Oscar for Best Animation Animated Film.
1: I would definitely put my money on this to win that Oscar.
0: Then on New Year's Day, and New Year's Day has historically been a big release date for British films. That's when The Theory of Everything came out uh, and was a huge hit. And we've got another big British drama coming out on the 1st of January. And in was at the moment, we've got The Great Escaper, and this film is trailering with that. And I think it's very similar audience. If you're looking to each a, a, an older audience, probably 45 plus from the 1st of January. This is a great way to do it. It's called One Life. If you aren't aware of this, it stars Anthony Hopkins as well it stars two people as Anth- yeah. as this character. It because it's about British, British humanitarian Nicholas Winton who is played as a younger man by Johnny, Johnny Flynn. Flynn yeah and then as an older man as Anthony Hopkins and Nicholas Winton helped save hundreds of uh European children from the Nazis on the eve of World War II. He managed to transport them or get them transport from uh, where they lived in the Czech Republic, was it?
1: I believe it's Czech Republic. Yeah, Yeah,
0: to the UK. And he became particularly notable because uh, there was a TV show in the 80s on Sunday nights on British TV called That's Life uh, featuring Esther Ranson. And they did a feature about Nicholas Winton and they had him in the audience. And he didn't realize at the time that he was surrounded by people that he'd saved. And it's an incredible clip. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, and they recreate that in this film. And I'm, I'm genuinely, if you watch the clip on YouTube, it's a three-minute clip, you'll be in tears. And that seems to be the response to everyone who's watched this film, isn't it, Corin?
1: Yeah, everybody, i this was one that I missed, but I was out and around the festival that evening and I was talking to lots of people that had seen it that morning. And they were all saying it was one of their favourite films they'd seen at the festival and that more than any other film they'd seen, it was really tugging on the heartstrings. And I think us Brits, we love a kind of war film, don't we? Especially one where somebody does this fantastic act of heroism like like Nicholas Winton did. And I'm a big fan of Johnny Flynn as well. I saw him a few years ago in True West on the West End. So I've always had like a soft spot for him. And he looks like he's kind of perfectly captured a young Anthony Hopkins in the trailer. So I'm very excited for this.
0: Yeah, it looks like it really connects with everyone who sees it. So, I mean, I think I think the core audience is probably slightly older, 45 plus, but I think this is one that a lot of people will enjoy. And Anthony Hopkins could easily get another Oscar nomination. I mean, he recently won for The Father, but you could see him get Oscar and BAFTA nominated probably in supporting actor I think in this one but it's one life is in cinemas on the 1st of January and also on the same date on the 1st of January is Priscilla so last year one of the biggest and most notable films was Elvis which starred Austin Butler who won the BAFTA for best actor this is uh, a biopic of Priscilla Presley and it tells the Elvis story from her perspective, so it's it's directed by Sofia Coppola and it's a biopic of Priscilla Presley, who's played by Kay, Kaylee Spenny. Kaylee Spenny. Spenny, yeah, yeah Kaylee, I I, so. Um But Jacob Elordi from A Euphoria plays Elvis Presley. Sofia Coppola makes very good films, but she's most famous for making Lost in Translation and The Virgin Suicides, and and it's been really well received. Priscilla hasn't it? And talk again, an, an outside contender for major awards.
1: I think so. Again, she, Kaylee Spenny, picked up. Um, best Actress at, I'm going to say, Venice Film Festival? Yes. I think I think it was. She is a really promising up-and-coming actress. And Jacob Elordi as well. For me, he was actually the kind of standout performance as Elvis. Very different approach, I'd say, to Austin Butler's, but um, equally as entertaining to watch. In a typical Sophia Coppola way, this is just really beautiful to watch. She's got this fantastic way of showing women in situations that... They suddenly find themselves in that they weren't expecting. And I think that's what's really fascinating about this film is that you think that being married to Elvis, Priscilla is going to have led this absolute crazy life where she's constantly surrounded by parties and drugs and rock and roll and all of that kind of stuff. When in fact, she was actually just kind of left to dwell in Graceland. And that's what Sophia Coppola shows the real kind of loneliness that she felt while she was married to Elvis.
0: It's in cinemas on the 1st of January. Again, probably a With that cast, maybe 1634, slightly older um, female audience.
1: This has been getting a real buzz on X slash Twitter.
0: Yeah, I have seen that too. And and all social media, I think, because of the cast, because obviously Jacob Elordi is big news after Euphoria, isn't he?
1: Yeah, and I think people are really liking the kind of feminist approach to the Elvis story because it does kind of reveal that Elvis wasn't the best husband. He perhaps wasn't the nicest man all the time. And I think young girls in particular are really appreciating that this is being shown on the big screen.
0: And then... Poor things on the 12th of January. Already one of the top three contenders for the major awards next year. This is Yorgos Lanthimos' film starring Emma Stone. It's the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant scientist Dr. Godwin Baxter, who's played by Willem Dafoe. This also stars Mark Ruffalo. This won the best film at the Venice Film Festival. It seems like it it was a good festival, but this was the clear winner by Sounds of Things. It got, has received five stars in The Guardian, in The Telegraph, in Empire, in, in almost every publication has given this five stars. And it's been really well received in this office as well but the one person who ha- perhaps wasn't <laughs> totally sold and it was is you, Corinne, isn't it?
1: It was me. No, do you know what it is? I didn't not like it. I did enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's one of those things where you go into these films with such high expectations because it is being noted as being one of the best reviewed films of this year that you expect to come out of it loving it. And, you know, I was a big fan of The Favourite. I really enjoy Killing of a Sacred Deer as well. So I'm a fan of Yorgos Lanthimos's previous work. So for me, maybe I was a little bit unsure Underwhelmed. that being said cannot fault anyone's performances in it emma stone looks like she's having the time of her life i've seen uh, clips as well where she's being interviewed and she's really passionate about this project and you can tell um, from the performance that she gives mark ruffalo is an absolute standout in this he is playing a role that i've never seen him play before it's so over the top and so quirky that i mean i'm still i'm, I'm a ryan gosling in barbie girl all the way to the end for Best Supporting Actor, but if he loses out, then I would be really happy if he lost out to Mark Ruffalo because he's fantastic in this, and it's just got all of the kind of quirkiness that you'd expect from your Gossanthamus. Again, whilst taking real kind of strong feminist approach, looking at a woman rediscovering her sexuality um and how she goes about owning that in a very unique way, should we say?
0: I have seen this. People say that this could be a good companion piece to Barbie.
1: I, yeah oh it'd be a very that would be a very interesting double bill oh there's a lot i want to say about it but i feel is not for pg years okay. like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but anyway it's gonna be it's gonna be nominated for potentially 10 or more oscars emma stone i think is favorite for best actress is, yeah it's gonna be best picture best director best screenplay best costume best production design best supporting actor it's going to get a whole host of them and it's coming out at exactly the right time to capitalize in all that all of that buzz so again if you're looking to reach a premium abc1 female audience in january this is a brilliant way to do it and it, proving that january is just incredibly strong next year we've got the holdovers on the 19th of january which is the latest from from alexander Payne. now alexander Payne has made some brilliant american cinema over the last two decades including election uh, about schmidt uh sideways uh, more recently nebraska and his last film was Probably his most disappointing to date in downsizing.
1: I really loved downsizing. I know I'm, I know I'm in the unique minority, but I thought it was good fun. <laughs> well, he's
0: gone he's gone back onto slightly safer ground, I think, yeah. in with a a period drama, well, period is set in the seventies, isn't it? Paul Giamatti, who was so brilliant in Sideways, plays a cranky history teacher at a prep school who is forced to remain on campus over the Christmas holidays with a student who has no family plans. Hence the title, the holdovers, and Alexander Payne it seems like he's on back on top form, doesn't it?
1: I would say, alongside Killers of the Flower Moon, this was my favourite thing that I saw at the festival. It's just fantastically funny. It's really moving. The three lead characters, they've all got, despite the fact that they've all got elements about them which are p- potentially unlikable, you really feel like you go on a strong emotional journey with them. And it's really hard to believe. Uh, I think he's called Dominic Cesar. He yeah. plays the... Uh, boy. I'm calling him a boy. In real life, I believe he's 33 years old. (laughs) But in this film, he's playing a 16, 17 year old. It's really hard to believe that this is his first film when you go on to his... Well, he doesn't really have an IMDb page, I don't think. He's not been in anything else. He's absolutely fantastic in it. And Divine Randolph Joy, I could see between her and Penelope Cruz for Best Supporting Actress um, at the Oscars next year. She is just so full of life in this film she's so joyous to watch and her character is probably the most kind of emotive that you that you really feel for because she's lost her son um so it's her first Christmas without her son and she just has this optimism the whole way through that just despite all of the negativity going on between Paul Giamatti's character and and Dominic Sosa's character you she just uplifts everything that she's in and it's such a joyous film such an emotional film and a great christmas film as well. i feel like i'm going to be watching this for christmases years to come
0: so it's the holdovers It's in cinemas on the 19th of jan and on the same day we've got the book of clarence which is from british filmmaker james samuel who whose last film opened the london film festival which was the harder they fall uh, this is an ambitious film set in
1: 29 ad yeah 29 ad <laughs> so
0: this Lakeith Stanfield, who was also in The Hard Day's Fault and is a brilliant actor. He plays Clarence, who is trying to capitalise on the popularity of Jesus. Yeah. It feels a bit Life of Brian, perhaps a bit more serious than that as well. But brilliant cast in this one, including Alfred Woodard, James McAvoy, Benedict Cumberbatch. And I really like that James Samuel is doing these ambitious films, you know, and it's coming to cinemas on the 19th of January.
1: He's doing a really fantastic thing of, I was a big fan of The Harder They Fall, of taking genres that have been traditionally white, I think we can say, and really incorporating that culture into them in a way that I don't think we're really seeing other directors do. And The Book of Clarence was such a feast for the eyes, a feast for the ears. I mean, the acting in it is fantastic. Lakeith Stanfield is one of my favourite actors at the moment, but again, some of the supporting cast, so Alfred Woodard, who I absolutely adore, she plays the Virgin Mary, um, and Benedict Cumberbatch, she plays a homeless man, I'm gonna leave that there. The scenes that they're in, they absolutely steal them. It's just jam-packed for the fantastic performances, and it does these really clever, has these really clever moments where it takes images that we know from biblical times, And looks into the backstory behind them. So, you know, how did that picture of The Last Supper come to be? What was going on during all of that? But it's very funny. It's, yeah, really unique. Really hard to talk about. Again, without you going to see it, I wouldn't want to say anything too much without spoiling it. Because you just don't see where it's going. And it's really good fun.
0: So that's The Book of Clarence. It's in cinemas on the 19th of January. Probably for an ABC1 male, slightly older audience again. But James Samuel makes accessible commercial films if you've seen the harder they fall which is a western with an incredible cast on netflix then he's doing something similar i think stylistically with this isn't he definitely and then All of Us Strangers, the final film we're going to talk about, which is in on the 26th of Jan, and is, a, I think, an outside bet for a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. I think it's going to get BAFTA love because it's a British film, uh, but I think it could easily get a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. It's directed by Andrew Hay, who is a British filmmaker who, may, who makes really strong, subtle, moving dramas like 45 Years and Weekend, and then he made an American film called Lean on Pete. And now he's made All of Us Strangers, which is a British drama starring Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. Andrew Scott plays a screenwriter who's drawn back to his childhood home and enters into a fledgling relationship with a mysterious neighbour as he then discovers his parents appear to be living just as they were in the house on the day they died 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, and they're played by Jamie Bell and Claire Foy, who are also fantastic. Yeah,
0: so it's it's a moving drama but with fantastical elements and certain sci-fi elements and... Again, another film where it doesn't appear to be a dry eye in the house.
1: Oh, I mean, it's a real shame that Callum isn't here because I saw this with Callum and I was absolutely moved and taken by it and was and was and was crying by the end of it. But I looked over to Callum and he just looked at me. He's like, I need a moment. Like he just needed some time to be alone. I think really it's just affects you in a way that you don't think it's possible to be affected by a film it's such a unique take on relationships, on family, again, on the idea of being alone, that it's moving in a way. It's I'm clearly struggling to put words together about this film because it is just really a unique viewing experience that will leave you broken, but in the best way possible. Um, and to your point, this feels like it's got BAFTA winner all over it. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Andrew Scott being nominated for an Oscar as well. He is truly phenomenal in this film and I know that the Brits have got a lot of love for him anyway especially since uh, he was in Fleabag but I think this is going to open the Americans up to him as well in a similar way to what we saw with The Favourite with Olivia Colman. I expect to see this just absolutely boost the trajectory of Andrew Scott's career.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because he's such a brilliant actor who you kind of wonder why this hasn't happened sooner, but the fact it's happening and it's going to happen with this film is is great news. It's All of Us Strangers, it's in cinemas on the 26th of January, and that's the last film we're going to talk about. And there's a whole host of other films that were shown at the film festival, but these are the ones that we are expecting to make a splash on the big screen between now and the end of January. So if you're looking to um, reach a sort of really premium audience, this is a great way to do it. Get in touch with your DCM rep or just look out for these at the cinema. Thanks for joining me, Corinne.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'll be back next month. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about next month, but I've got a few weeks to work it out. Thanks for (laughs) listening. Bye-bye.